0: Hey
1: everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. If you're an automotive industry professional or a shop owner yourself, then you are in the right place. This is a podcast created by shop owners for shop owners and anyone looking to peek into the mind of the everyday repair shop owner. During our conversations, we try to avoid the highlight reels and have frank conversations about the struggles and challenges we have every single day and what we're trying to do about it. In this episode, you are in for a treat as we're joined by Jim Kakonis, a senior curriculum developer at CarQuest Technical Institute. We discuss some of the principles behind Six Sigma and the Toyota Way. These are methodologies that allow you to dissect problems at hand Find solutions using the talent of those around you, as well as ensure that there is continuous improvement to prevent future issues. These principles can be applied to everything from diagnosing a vehicle to even diagnosing your own business. Folks, I was literally taking notes as Jim was speaking. That's how beneficial I found this conversation, and I'm sure you will as well. If you haven't already, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. We're on every single one. If you're catching us on YouTube, please make sure that you subscribe to the channel. We're going to be uploading a ton of new content to the channel, and we don't want you to miss it. While you're subscribing to the channel, make sure that you like this video. It'll let others know about the work we're trying to do on the ASOG podcast. Lastly, make sure you head on over to asog.site. That's A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. We have a few blog posts up, a place to ask questions of our experts we're trying to have on during our monthly Ask Me Anything events, and you can also support our efforts by clicking on the Become a Patron Now button. All proceeds go to funding ASOG, a 501c3 educational charity, so your contribution is tax deductible. Now, with all that out of the way, here we go. throws me off because I'm all I'm thinking about is how much work am I going to have to do and post to clean this up
0: <laughs> and, and look and just hearing you yell is the best part, because you, when it happens, you just get progressively louder and to the point it's like you've really raised your voice to the maximum octave. You know, you're well,
1: like, I can normalize that.
0: Yeah, but it's pretty amusing on my end and I have to mute myself and get a few giggles out. <laughs> then. There
1: you go. Um, anyway, I said I said hello
0: to Jim. Very cool. Very cool. So we so, have that out of the way. Nice. Um, yeah. In all seriousness.
2: David, what do you do? Are you also a shop owner?
0: I am also a shop owner, although barely. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He he offered to sell me a shop for half a honey bun earlier today.
2: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: The price goes down every day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yesterday it was a dollar and fifty cents half a honey bun. Won't be long until he's gonna be paying me to take it. Um
2: no, where's the, where's the location of this honey bun shop? You know,
1: I'd probably have a boat or two if I was selling honey buns. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, We're we're in Merriam, Kansas, which is right outside of Kansas City. Okay.
0: Yeah. I don't know that either of you recognize this, but I am pretty sure that I introduced both of you at Vision. Um, And that was about the time that I introduced you, Jim, to Dutch. So, uh, You may not have recognized it. It was busy. It was hectic, but I'm pretty sure you two have met and just don't know it. I, I,
2: if I saw a face, I'd be like, I know you.
0: Oh, yeah. But He's hard yeah. to miss, man. He's hard to miss. He's got these huge teeth. He's got really big teeth. It's It's very clear. I got to cut all your teeth comments out. <laughs> Go, go Let's back to listen to all the podcasts.
1: Every single tooth comment. Wow. There's always th- three or four in every podcast. <laughs> and I got to cut them
0: off. <laughs> wow.
2: Um, he always has to put a dent in it.
0: Yes. Yes. Sorry.
2: Okay. <laughs> all right. Enough of the jokes.
0: All right. In, in all seriousness, um, Jim, thanks for joining us. I, I really appreciate it more than you can imagine. And, um, I've learned so much from you. I, I really have, and and our first conversation—I don't know if you remember this—but but our first conversation you and I ever had—I um, said something to the effect that I would really like to see us have classes on diagnostic process, not not necessarily on how to do the test, not necessarily on on what step to take next, the thought process behind that, and. You know, it was really eye-opening for me because it it helped me realize how to better help my technicians. It helped me better understand my technicians. But I think it made me a better business owner. And, you know, I, I genuinely mean that because it gave me a different perspective. And I was hoping to get you to share a little bit of that thought process that you shared with us that day in the podcast. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I do recall that day. Um and I think the conversation I can remember some some distinct comments I've made over the years and and whether we specifically got into this or not, I can't tell you how many times I've perused the list of classes at a big training event and I look at something going, hey, this looks like somebody's take on...
1: Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your PartsTech account, go to my shop and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, PartsTech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using PartsTech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using PartsTech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for PartsTech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to PartsTech.com forward slash podcast. That's PartsTech.com forward slash podcast.
0: Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with PartsTech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started.
2: This topic, um, and I really want to go see what their view of the diagnostic process is. And I have to say that invariably, I'll go sit in a class And it becomes more of a, look what I did, not why I did it. Yes. Or look at this thing I came up with, not how did I come up with this thing? Yes. And that's what started me thinking differently. Um, And it started for me years ago. There was a, I'm not going to mention his name right now I may in the future but for right now I'm just going to say there was a gentleman who I got to know personally that was on one of the management forums back in the IATN days and he would talk about the types of processes that he had in his shop and people would be like well what do you do and and he's like well I don't want to tell you what I do because what we do in our shop may not be right for your shop. And that made my ears perk up. Right. And so what he was trying to get people to do was learn a process for solving problems or improving a process and apply those techniques and start generating your own solutions. And through that conversation, I was like, well, this can be applied to a diagnostic process as well because my current condition, there's one of those phrases we talked about, my current condition is something is broken. It's not performing the way I want it to. The, the condition I'm shooting for is for it to be performing as optimally as I can get it. How I'm going to get from position A to position B is unknown. So I have to use techniques that help me navigate my way through that, hopefully gaining ground at every iteration. So uh, I think of something that could be the cause based on my understanding. I do it and then I study the results. And if it was an improvement, but not where I wanted to be, leave it in place and go for the next one, but do one thing at a time until I work my way through a process of improvement to get the system running the way I want it to be. And that was kind of the discussion in a nutshell with about a billion details.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, the big thing that stuck out to me was something you said at the very end of that one thing at a time. Just one thing, because if we change everything, if we jump at 50 different things at once, we change the whole dynamic, you know, and and when when I was actually in the bays working on cars, I, I still have to go to my guys and say, hey, listen, I understand it's really easy to reach down and unplug that connector to look and see if there's any corrosion in it. Please don't do that. P- please wait. Let, let's do some testing first, because you might change it. and We might get rid of the problem and we don't know if we fixed it or not. And and so that was really eye opening for me. And, you know, I began w- w- in that process. I, I think it was during that that we talked a lot about reasoning, right? The deductive reasoning. And, and you said some things to me. That I kind of sat back and said, "'Oh man, I'm out of my league i, <laughs> no, I don't
2: don't do, don't do that.
0: <laughs> I don't know that I have the capacity to reason with what you were saying um and and you know when we began to talk about some of these things and and your perspective, I realized so much of what you're talking about in the diagnostic process of what you're talking about is, is issues with the technicians in the shops can really come back to the owner and technician communication barriers at times. And, and, you know, we were talking before the show started that in a lot of cases, I, I think we see a large majority of shop owners who were technicians and so we sit back and we put the technician in a bay and we say, OK, I would do it this way. I would do this. I would do that. And we taint their learning ability. We we had a guest on last night doing an AMA and and we were talking about the fact that all too often we'll jump on them and say, hey, why didn't you do it this way? Why did you do it that way? And we prevent them from being willing to take chances and try it on their own and learn for themselves. And that's mm. really how we learn, right? As we make that mistake and we say, "Oh, man, I shouldn't have done that."
2: So so I'm going to I'm going to throw some things at you that I have started exploring um, since we spoke about this. Now, to, for, for everybody that's not familiar um the the gentleman that i was referring to was a student of dr edwards deming and the whole continual improvement some of the roots of the toyota way and the continual improvement process and he's the one who came up with um the plan do check and adjust or there's different different words that are used for the letters but but the basis of it is have a plan. And when we think about diagnosing something, we really should have a plan. But what does that mean? It seems simple. Okay, have a plan. But what it really means is I have a deep understanding of the current condition, and that is a mouthful. And what that means is I understand how it works. I understand what the components are. I understand what's not happening, how often it's not happening. And so from that, I can plan because I have a deep understanding. If I don't have a deep understanding, the first thing I have to do is go seek some understanding. And yes. that will mean for the technician, getting into service information, looking up known goods, getting looking up specs, looking up data, pulling information from from the vehicle with a scan tool. That will get me more information with which to plan. But if you think about what I just did, after you plan, you have to do something, do one thing. So if I understand I'm lacking in planning, I don't have enough information, what am I going to do? I'm going to go get information. Once I get the information, I'm going to study it and go, what did I just learn here? And hopefully I have learned something and I can now put that new knowledge back into my planning environment. Well, now that I know this, what's the next thing I need to know? What's the next thing I need to do? And so it's a repetitive cycle. And so for those who aren't familiar, you have a plan. You ask a question that leads you to do one thing. You do that one thing. You study the results of it. What does it mean? What did I learn? We've all seen that tech that goes to step seven in the flow chart and says, take your digital volt ohm meter and measure at this point. And the reading should be between here and there. And if it is, go to this step. And if it's not, go to that step. And you, you'll watch a tech do that. And you'll go, okay, stop for a minute. What did that result mean? Yep. Well, I don't know. I'm supposed to go to step X. Exactly. They don't understand what it meant because they don't have a deep understanding of what they're working on yet. If they knew what they were working on, they would be able to ask those questions without the chart. Yes. But the chart is a training tool. Okay. So that's where I'm trying to marry together PDCA plan, do, check, and adjust or act. And what we do as technicians or what we do as business owners. So I'm getting the wrong type of car. Is it my advertising? Is it my area? Is it, You know, am I planning on working on Teslas and there's not, there aren't three Teslas in a thousand square miles. Um, I may have to change my plan, but all that stuff is valid. But then when we start talking about teams, Lucas, I'm going to tell you one of the best books I read when, when it comes to dealing in a team, it was a book that was written as a, like a, a fictional company and the company trying to work its way through developing a team that works together. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called the five dysfunctions of a team. And it talks about about how difficult it can be to build a team. Right. But then there's something else that we've been talking about internally within the group I work with. Um, And you can call it all kinds of different things, but one of them is called the blue angel protocol and i'm going to give you just a just a overview and a thought process here because i think when we talk about shops and communication we've talked about you know how well does the front of the shop communicate with the back of the shop does everybody work together to take care of the customer and and i guess the reading that i've started doing and and i was talking with anthony williams about this too is The Blue Angels, they kind of have a process, and this is very prevalent in the military. Um, When a mission gets briefed, Mm -hmm. everybody has to trust the information. So the people responsible for putting the information together, they carry that. They own that. Right, and if you go out to execute the mission and the and the the intelligence was bad, you don't blame the guy in the shop. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? Yeah, absolutely. And so, in an after-action report or on a debrief, think about this mentally. Everybody walks into a room to talk about the business your rank and your insignia and all that stuff come off your uniform and they go in the middle of the table. Absolutely. Okay. And so when we're talking about what went right and what went wrong, it has nothing to do with what your rank is. So I don't care if you're the owner, the major investor, the tech or the wash boy in that room, nobody has a rank. Right. Think, think about the spirited conversations that could be had there.
0: Right. Right. And, and their opinions matter. Their opinions are valid. Right. And, that you know, we talk all the time about perspective and and I think perspective is so important because, you know, one of the things that I found myself when I began to to work on my business. Right. So when all this started, I was the technician and I was the service writer and I was all of those things and I was in the thick of it. Right. I had very, very little perspective of what was going on. Now I could fix the cars, right. But fixing the cars was only one small part of the business. And, you know, we talk all the time. You know, you've heard me say in this episode already three or four times that so many of these guys who come in and they start a shop, you know, it was really because their last boss didn't treat them well or this went wrong or that went wrong, whatever it was, instead of working for somebody else. They want to be a shop owner, right, and I get that I understand it That's how I got where I am but the the point is is that I never understood that the job of owning a shop and managing a shop is not the same job as fixing cars, right So we have to learn a new skill set we have to develop some perspective. We have to see this from other people's perspective, but for some reason when we when we become business owners. Now, all of a sudden, we forget all that perspective we had as a technician, and we're just running like a chicken with our head cut off. We're running through the middle of the fire, trying to put every fire out, and we never slow down to follow that process, right? And the same diagnostic process that we use for fixing cars in many, many ways can be applied to fixing our business. So I I think this is more than a valid topic for management of auto repair shops. And and I don't
1: think the diagnostician, though, looks at it that way. I mean, I I think it just comes naturally. It's, It's second nature for them to, you know, assess the problem and then come up with a plan and then move forward. Yeah. So when they move into the shop ownership and now they're faced with issues, problems, Instead of diagnosing it like they would a vehicle, you know, if they look at it like it's a different situation, it's a different problem. Even though fundamentally, like you're saying, Jim, it needs to be broken down the same way. And if you can break it down or be systematic about it, you'll be better equipped to handle fixing the problems.
2: I think, David, I think that's a a spot on assessment of the reality of what happens and i think it, i think it comes from we don't have the words or the knowledge to ask the right questions because we really yes. don't understand the business yet and unfortunately sometimes questions will be given to you and it's like just watch these things and your shop will do great if you want it to run like every other shop that's losing text, that might be true. Right. And I don't mean that to come across harsh, but, um, what, what was Einstein's? One of his sayings was we can't fix today's problems with the same thinking that created them. And when we hear so many people facing the same challenges, we obviously, have an opportunity to improve the types of questions we're asking. That's all I'm trying to say here.
0: I I think that is a very huge point, right? And I I that was the the whole intent of having you on the podcast. And you know, before we started recording, you said, you know, it's okay to not know. And and the key is is to go find the information. Don't pretend you know. You don't have to be Billy Badass. You don't have to have all of the answers. You have to be willing to go and get the answers. You can't just sit here and say, well, I already know that, you know, whether you do or not, because, you know, you end up looking like a giant jackass. Don't ask me how to I know. Y- <laughs> so- <laughs> to,
1: you, ahead, to your point about losing techs, though. I think some shops don't care. So they see a tech as a commodity, a means to an end. And they can always just go find another technician. <laughs> and so the, the shortage is not an issue to them because they have the mindset that there are techs out there. And I think there are. I think there are techs out there. Are we seeing a heavy influx of new technicians? No. And is that going to mean that some shops are going to run without technicians, just the owner doing all the work by themselves? Um, yeah, that's what exactly what it means. And... You're just going to see a lot of churn in some of the higher volume establishments. But I think a lot of shops don't care. I I remember having a conversation with one shop owner, and we were talking about customer relationships. And, you know, I I was trying to explain transactional versus a relationship type business. And we were having this conversation, and, and he stops and goes, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't care about any of that. I just want to make money. I want to. I want to have. Uh, I want to have money in the bank, and I want to go on vacations, and that's all I care about. So, if that means that you know technicians aren't treated uh, like you would think you'd want to see them treated, um, so be it. As long as that end result is achieved, does that make sense? And and so I. I don't know that the the approach of breaking things down when you have a problem with an employee or you have a problem in the shop that can be resolved with uh in collaboration with an employee um i don't know that they care that they can get feedback from them that you got, they can collaborate they can break down the issue and if they approach it in a systematic fashion you'll probably at least see less turnover which at the end of the day would mean more money in their pockets but They may not care. (laughs) They just, they're like, okay, this is a problem. I'm just going to go ahead and and push them out the door and just find somebody else. So, how how do you address somebody like that? Or would you even address somebody like that?
2: (laughs) Personally, um, if they don't see a problem with their system, then there's nothing for you to fix. And I'm sorry, that may sound harsh. But it's kind of like the, the, you know, the customer that's got four blown out shocks and a loose tie rod end. If it drives fine to them, you're going to have a hard time selling them a repair.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you're going to tell them, hey, this is going to end up causing an accident. You're going to end up getting hurt. But they've been driving around like that for a year. And they're like, well, I've been fine this whole time. It, it should be fine tomorrow, right? And I I understand where you're coming from. And I agree with you 100%. I think if you don't take the approach that these aren't just the means to an end, these are people we need to culture careers. We need to make sure that we're the the right influence in the industry. And we need to make sure that we're just, we're not just like that every other shop or the assumption of what every other shop is in, in in that they just turn people around and they don't care how much you make as long as they get their buck and that's it.
2: So, you know i guess with somebody like that if if money's their motivation let, let me reset my answer if money's their motivation then i would start asking them questions um could you make more money from an efficient 4 bay shop or an efficient 8 bay shop or two good locations in two separate areas that have similar overhead costs and production numbers, um, could you do that with two locations? And if their answer to that is yes, then ask them where they're going to get the people to run them. Because if they have to be there, You know, if they're finding they have to be there to ride herd over one location, they will never get to the second location. How many of those guys that just want to make money do you see fail when they go put up a second shop? Yeah, because they have never learned how to replicate themselves. They've never learned how to create a team. They've never learned how to teach their techs and enable them to hit the goals that they can. And so I guess this this kind of comes from the the instructor part of me, and this is part of what Lucas and I were talking about before we started really recording, was it's okay not to have the answer. If I have to be there to answer every question that comes up or to make sure the right decision is made, I can only ever be so efficient but if i can enable and empower the employees to make the right decisions for the right reasons we can now all get more done and that that technician that comes with a question instead of giving them an answer ask them what their solution would be and yep. this is one of the tricks to teaching people and improving their skill set while you get to step back and observe, it is okay not to have all the answers. You shouldn't be the answer person. You should be able to delegate and allow those people to work their way through their growth in knowledge and expertise so that they become more valuable to themselves and to you as a shop owner. And I guess I'm sounding a little bit like a sales guy um, because I no longer... I no longer work as a shop owner. I'm working as a as a trainer, and I'm working with different projects now. So I just know what worked, and I've I've worked in and worked with a lot of teams, and I can tell you that there's a reason why some teams succeed and thrive, and others fail.
1: I, I think that point it was really important to make, though, because I, I think somebody might listen to this and go, oh, this is just another uh, more woo-woo ideas. We're trying to, you know, quote unquote, better the, the industry when at the end of the day, this type of approach isn't necessarily talking about taking an unexperienced technician and growing them into a more experienced technician or a more productive Technician, this is very much a process or a system in order for you to achieve quote-unquote replication, or at least replication of systems and processes within the shop without you having to manage every single aspect of it. You allow your people and, and their talents to influence and better the the team as a whole. And for those shop owners that just they just want the boat, right? They just want the nice car, and that's that's it. That's all they care about. This is what they should be implementing in their shops. Uh, they they should be looking at Deming's work, and they should be implementing these type of systems into their shop, or at least the approach to building systems. Because I think that's that's what made this fascinating when when Lucas was telling me about what you teach and and the approach you take. Because it's not even. It's not even the system. Everybody wants the system. Just like you were saying, they were going to, they're asking, well, what do you do in your shop? And you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. What I do in my shop works at my shop, but may not work at your shop. You need to look at it and figure out what's going to work in your shop. That's what we're talking about here. That base core fundamental aspect of it. This is what you build everything off. This is w- what, this is what will allow you to build the system. And this should absolutely blow everybody's mind because that's, this is the the secret sauce. It's the key. It's it, how do you, how does every franchise turn into a franchise? They They figured out how to build systems and you should be able to do this in your one location with your four employees, just like they've done it over several locations and hundreds of employees. It should be no different. It's let's figure out how to build a system that allows everybody to flourish. Step one, And this is what you're talking about.
2: And just to add to that, here's a, here's a lesson that even Toyota learned. Toyota got enamored with the reputation that they had and their processes. And, and this is my understanding. I'm not trying to say I'm an expert on Toyota and their history and everything else, but Toyota went through a period where they were like, hey, we're going to be the biggest car maker in the comp- in the in the world. And so part of them went seeking that and it hurt them. Why? Because Toyota's way of doing growth before that episode was they would make sure they had enough people to go in to a new location and set the culture. So they would flood the place with experienced, trained people who understood the cultures and the processes. And then they would train themselves out of their job and move to the next location. They tried to do it in a shortcut way where they didn't, invest the time and the effort to create those processes and those cultures that you're talking about. And then what happened was they got way more deviation and instability in the processes and it didn't stick. And so there's a lesson in that too. Don't try and shortcut it. Take the time, ask the questions, be methodical. And make sure it's solid and stable before you walk away from it.
0: Well, you know, you bring up something that's a little bit of a personal thing for me. And the reason being is is because I have tried on multiple occasions <clears throat> to fill the advisor position. And the advisor position in my shop is is it can be tough, right? Because I have a very specific way that we handle our customers. I really care about our clients. They're very important to me. And the quality of the service that they get is something that I built this business on. Our reputation is built on that. And I grew up in a, in a family business that served customers. That was the whole intent. And, you know, time and time again, I've tried to put somebody in that position and, you Many of you know I've got a shop coach, and he's told me over and over and over again, and I never want to hear it. I mean, when he tells me, it makes me feel sick at my stomach. You've got to stop, and you have got to spend time with them. You've got to spend six to eight weeks if you want them to do the job that you expect them to do on that front counter. They need to be with you for six to eight weeks, listening to everything you say, everything you do, working through each step of your process with you. I hate that process. I'm not going to lie. And, and the, the real reason for me was is because for so many years, I didn't know how to do it. I just did it, right? Right. And and I thought that was it, but the reality was, as I was giving myself excuses every time I made a mistake. If something went wrong, I would say, "Yeah, but this happened because of this, and this is okay because of this." Yet I would put somebody on that front counter, and I was unwilling to give them the same leeway I would give myself. So we talk about you know, and and one of the things we hear in Asog sometimes. Is the hold tech- on, hold
1: on, hold on, hold on. I, w- I want to make sure that everybody gets that point, though. It that you were talking about mistakes. The, the mistakes are part of the process. Yes. So, it, and when Jim's talking about having a, a process to deal with the mistakes and, and reassessing and then moving forward with your plan, uh, that that's what you're talking about. The mistakes allow are, are feedback. They allow you yes. to then determine which way you need to go next. It's course correction. But without a plan, without a system to create that system, right, without a process, uh, th- th- mistakes can be overwhelming because, yes. you know, for, for yourself, you make the excuse. But if you've got an employee, maybe you keep them on a short leash or you just get frustrated with them and then you push them out the door because you don't know what to do with a mistake. You just, man, why do they keep making these mistakes? And then another one and then another one and then another one. And eventually they go out the door. Or you get on ASOG and you start typing up this long story about everything they did wrong and what they should do. And of course, the feedback always ends up being fired, fired, fired. You just start to see they'd be gone. They'd be gone tomorrow. I I would have fired them already. And and instead of, like Jim was saying, asking those questions, you know, what led to this? What systems do you have in place? You know, how did you train them? You know, what processes that they fail on? And usually there aren't any. That's sort of the problem. So, sorry, I just wanted to make sure you we made that point about mistakes because I think it's important.
0: And, yeah. and, and, you know, that that's exactly what I was getting ready to say. So it, it ends up on ASOG. They've got a problem with this technician. They've got a problem with this service advisor. They've, they've got a problem, right? And and the reality of it is, is we never even sat down to understand what the problem was. I mean, let's be realistic. If we bring somebody in within 90 days, we should damn well better know. If that's a good fit or not, and we should know before that truthfully, if if we've done a good job in the hiring process, if we've if we've done a good interview, if we've done uh, we've got a good application and we've checked references, we should already have a good idea if this person's a good fit. But all too often, we end up getting really frustrated, and and you know, one of the classes I attended, um, there was a slide I'll never forget it. And the, the educator was talking about, um, he was talking about relationships and he said, you know, you come into the, you come into the, the relationship and everything's great. But over the years, she said something to you and you said something to her. And all of a sudden there's baggage that begins to build up. And just like our customers have baggage, our employees have baggage, And they bring that with them, but we also begin to build our own baggage when they're in our facilities. And it is so easy to get a skewed perspective of an employee where we change our entire mindset to them. We don't slow down to understand that a lot of this is our responsibility, right? Building a team comes back to the leader of the team in many, many ways. But so many times, the answer in Asog has been fire them, fire them, fire them. If they had done that, I would have fired them. But just like you can, said, can
2: ahead. I ask you guys? Can I ask you guys a question? Absolutely. I, I want you. I want you both to imagine. I, I've done this with people before. I want you both to imagine that you have the responsibility to observe people at work. Okay. And there, let's say there is a processor, there is a standard that's out there. And if the standard was going to be posted somewhere, first question is this. Would you post it where the person doing the work could see it? Or would you post it where the person observing could see it?
0: I would... Probably post it where the person observing could see it. Why? Well, because if if it's not their job and they're observing to verify the process was followed, the employee is is the in my shop at least. The employee is really the one who forms the process. They're they're the one in the thick of it. They should know what okay. the process is.
2: Okay, I, yeah, I, I, I like I like the yeah. answer, David. You agree? Okay. Yeah. So then now the question becomes, you notice that the employee did not follow the steps of a process. They did it differently. Now, what do you do?
1: What's the end result? Well, In in other words, what was the objective that we're trying to achieve in, in following those steps? And did we achieve those results? And was it faster, more efficient, cheaper, w- whatever metric? And and that's the more, I, I guess that's the, I should take a step
2: back. <laughs>
1: Do we have a, yeah, sorry.
2: No, that's good. <laughs> I, we, I'm, you, I'm listening to you think through yeah. <laughs> a presented scenario and I love it. Keep going.
1: So, so we have to have a metric, right? Uh, a way by which we judge the end result. And so... Did did the metric get achieved? Even if, so, if there was deviation, did we get to the end result? Yes or no, and it was it to the benefit of the shop or the benefit uh, of whoever benefits from the end result. So, okay. It so, ends what, up being if, better, then...
2: what if better than? What if my metrics are driven off of a couple of simple concepts? Um, like, we will search out and implement any process change that eliminates waste but will not have an impact on quality that the customer is willing to pay for. There's my value proposition in a nutshell. Okay. So if I can remove a step or change a step, without impacting the quality of the work, that's an acceptable change. Sure. So the way you, the way you worked through that was good, but let me just give you a simple, a simple interaction starting point that will allow your brain to do everything you did. Okay. The right management style that I was taught for that observation would be to actually address the, address the person in that position and say, I noticed that you did something different from the standard work process in this area. Can you help me understand why you did it that way? Mm -hmm. It's neutral. You didn't say you did that with your right hand, you're supposed to do it with your left hand, or you didn't follow the process. You said, I noticed you did something different. Help me understand why. Well, And, and that gives them the opportunity to sell you. They may have found an improvement and you want to get that and get it to everybody. Or when you walk away and study it, you find out, well, we've done that before And we have found that it increases the likelihood of a defect. So like, let me just give you one example in my shop. If I was replacing, um, hydraulics, anything with fresh new rubber components inside of it, like wheel cylinders, calipers, anything like that. I learned through study and through observation and through teardown that, a lot of defective hydraulic components were caused by contaminated fluid flushed through it after it was installed. Mm -hmm. So if I was putting calipers on, I would get all the old fluid out first, install the new calipers and bleed them out. And I worked with one shop who actually did a study And notice that no matter where they got their hydraulics from, their defective component rate dropped 85%. Isn't that awesome? Sold me. Yep. Sold me. That's a change in process that reduced defects. Okay. So it's it's things like that. And you're looking for them. And that methodology with your team, it actually encourages them to look for that. And to share it with you and to understand what you're looking for and never judge wrong. And I worked with managers. Let me give you another example. I worked with managers and there was a cosmetic process where we're cleaning up body panels on a vehicle and there's a way to do it and minimize swirl. And if you're not in a body shop, the way that they minimize swirl is they make sure they use a crosshatch pattern. So if I have a panel, I'm going to go up and down across the panel, and then I'm going to go side to side from top to bottom on the panel, and I'm going to make sure that I crisscross that thing in um, 90-degree offsets evenly across the panel. And so some managers who don't understand what they were managing, I say, okay, okay you walk up and the person goes right to left before they go up and down. And your process says they're supposed to go up and down before they go right to left. What would you say? And I had managers that would go, well, I would explain to them that they're doing the process incorrectly and they need to follow the standard work. What did they just tell their team?
1: Don't think for yourself.
2: And they don't understand what your job is. Because I don't care if the crosshatch pattern is put on at 245s that end up at 290s. The end result, the questions you were asking, David. Yeah. The questions you were asking would have made you slow down and go, "He's not getting swirls, and he's going. He's putting the crosshatch pattern on, and he's not burning paint." What, what do I have to complain about here? Was the objective realized? Did it take any more time? Did he waste product? Did he, All those questions you were asking were spot on. And I yeah. think if people listen to this podcast, that thought process that you just went through when I just asked a crazy question that was off the cuff, mm-hmm. that's the diagnostic mindset. That's the problem-solving mindset. I think yeah. it's cool.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I think the whole thing about that, right. And, and I think it's, again, I'm going to go back to the chicken with its head cut off in the middle of the fire. Seek first to understand. Don't come to a conclusion until you understand what you're talking about. It's the same as going out to a car. We're not going to name the technician who did this this week. Uh, (laughs) You can take that out, David, I swear to God. Yeah. It's the same as going to a car and saying it needs a fuel pump because it doesn't have fuel pressure. Did anybody look to see if it had gas in it? Right? Um, That's bitten all of us. (laughs) (laughs) But my point is, is seek first to understand. Don't, Don't immediately take action. Slow down a little bit. Understand why they did what they did. And and I think that is something that that's kind of been my motto this year, and it's gonna be my motto going into next year, because I am so bad for getting wound you know, tight and I've got all these things going on, things are going wrong, and instead of understanding, instead of, of digging into that and figuring out what went wrong, what went right, I react. And sometimes the reaction is worse than the problem in the first place, or it causes worse problems than I had in the first place. But when you're in the thick of it, you've got to remember to slow down and think about it first.
2: I I think that's probably the best advice any of us can have. It'll get us in trouble as technicians trying to diagnose a car because we'll jump to a conclusion or head the wrong direction. I think that's great.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. For our all-access patrons, we will have the second half of our conversation with Jim on our Patreon page. It was absolutely fascinating. I hope you don't miss it. To become a patron yourself, head on over to our website, asog.site, and click on Become a Patron Now button. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It helps spread the word. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel and to hit that like button. The like button has stolen a single sock of every pair Lucas owns. And he says they will not be returned until you like this video. So, help him out. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions, please reach out to me via email. My email address is David at asog.site that's d-a-v-i-d at a-s-o-g dot s-i-t-e until next time